How we doing? Good, good, man. Glad you're here. And if you're watching online because you're celebrating Labor Day out by the beach or at the campsite, we're glad you're here as well. That's one of the beauties of the 21st century. We do have technology, so if you're ever traveling, you can watch online, you can give online. All that is amazing. So we're going to finish up this series called These Three this weekend, and we're going to finish it out in 3 John. And these three, 3 John, all kind of fits together, right? And so we're going to wrap it up this weekend, and I think it's a great message. Of course, I think any message is a great message, but the reason why I'm so excited about this message in particular is because I think it's really going to set up our next two series, really kind of the rest of the messages that we're going to have for the rest of this year as we talk about vision and direction as a church. I think the message today is the message for us to kind of really wrap our minds around to see what is it that the church is about and where are we headed. And so I know that's a lot to try to get into one message, and I was spoke long last service. I'm going to do my best to try to get it in this service, all right? And so to do that, let's ask God to help us in our time together. Father, thank you. We want to take a break and recognize, just like Labor Day tomorrow, God, we take a break from rest, uh, from work, and we rest. We want to just stop and pause and acknowledge the fact that you are God. And that's why you commanded us to have a Sabbath every week, God, to where we just stop from our labor, we stop from our work, not just one time a year, but weekly, God, and recognize the fact that we're not God, that you never sleep, you never slumber, but we need sleep, we need rest. And so, God, we pause to not only recognize that, but recognize the fact that if you don't move in our life, if you don't open our eyes to see the truth of the word, then we're sunk. And so, God, we ask you to do that. Would you open hearts and minds and eyes to see today? Help me to communicate it correctly and rightly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 3 John, it's right after 1 and 2 John. All right, joke's still funny. And uh, right before the book of Jude. And so 1, 2, 3 John, so we've been teaching through all summer, and uh, really excited, like I said, to close this one out. We're going to look at verse 5, and then we'll work our way down to verse 15. So just one chapter, but I think what we're going to talk about today is, I mean, again, it's rich, it's dense. So let's jump in, starting in verse 5. John says this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7 and 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So what you see in the first part of the sermon here today, and it's really kind of continuing what he talked about, verses 1 through 4, is Paul is celebrating this guy, Gaius. Gaius was a leader in the church. Oh, not Paul. I said Paul. Sorry. John is celebrating Gaius. I was just reading in Acts 19, and Gaius and Paul were in that chapter, so I was getting kind of confused there. I'll reference that in a minute. But John is celebrating what Gaius has done. He had prayed for him last week, that everything that may go well with him, and now he's saying it's a faithful thing that you're doing in supporting these brothers. And what he was talking about was there were missionaries that John had sent 
That's what the whole point of being uh, you know, a believer is. Jesus gave us the great commission to go and make disciples. And so there were, there were missionaries that were coming through this church that John had sent. And he said, hey, it's a faithful thing that you do to send them on in a manner worthy of God, to support them. And he was talking about not just financial, but in every way. You're giving them credibility in the community. You're supporting them financially. You're giving them hospitality, a place to stay. You're really kind of, because again, back then there wasn't hotels and all that kind of stuff. And so you took them in, you, you, you know, fed them, took care of them, and then you sent them out and you supported them. And John says, that's a faithful thing that you're doing. And there's just one thing I want to highlight here that I just think is interesting because if not, we can just kind of blow past it really quickly. He says, this is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts. As I was studying this and going back over it last night, I thought about it. I was like, you know, there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of things that we put effort into that may not be faithful things. They may not be things that we should be doing. So then I was just kind of thinking back in my own life, like all the things that I do in a week. You know, our mantra today, and someone asks you, how you doing? Our mantra today is, I'm busy. And in fact, if you don't answer the word busy, someone looks at you like you're an alien, right? Like if you responded, how you doing? If you said, man, you know what? I'm well, my soul is well. I'm just loving life. People would look, what? what? Because we just wear it as a badge of honor today. Because if we're not busy doing a lot of things, then somehow, some way we're failing in life. But I think it's a very helpful exercise, and it's part of what I did this summer when we took a break, and it's part of what I try to do every week now, to step back and look at my life at all the things that I am doing and say, okay, are these faithful things? Are these things that I should be doing? Are these things that God has commanded me to do? And so I want to highlight this, this idea here of faithful, because a lot of times in Christian circles... I think we focus too much on fruitfulness and we don't talk enough about faithfulness. Now, let me explain the difference between these two. The Bible in Galatians chapter six, and we'll look at Galatians chapter five as well in a minute, talks about sowing and reaping. It talks about all over in the Bible, but particularly in Galatians chapter six, Paul says that if we don't grow weary in doing good, We don't give up. Verse nine, he says, we will reap in due season. We will reap a harvest in due season. So there's two things in that verse there that I want to highlight. One is the season and the size of the harvest. That's about fruitfulness. You and I don't get to determine that. You and I don't get to determine the season. You and I don't get to determine the size of the fruitfulness. You know what we do get to determine? Whether or not we're going to be faithful in sowing. Whether we're going to be faithful and we don't give up. You see, here's what a lot of us do. So many times we focus on the season that we're in. We focus on the size or the result of the fruit of what we are getting or not getting. And we have failed to determine or failed to see that God has the authority of that. And you can't take responsibility for something you don't have the authority over. You don't have the authority to determine the size or the season. You know what you do have the authority to determine? Whether or not you keep sowing faithfully. 
This is why as a church, we've never set, and I never will set, attendance goals to say, this is the size church we want to be. If you have a problem with the size of our church, take that up with Jesus, not Jason. I don't get to determine the size. You know what I do get to determine? Whether we're going to keep sowing the gospel every week. I get to determine that. I don't get to determine the season, nor do I get to determine the size. You know what a lot of us do? We waste so much of our time and energy focusing on the season that we're in and trying to get into a different season and the size of the results that we're getting. That's called stress. Stress is when you take responsibility for something that you don't have authority over. And so if you could step back and say, what do I do have the responsibility for? What do I do have authority over? I don't have the responsibility or the authority to make this seed grow. What I do have is the authority and responsibility to put this seed in the ground. I sow, and here's the promise. The promise is you will reap in due season. Why? Because God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Now, you can look at that as a negative, or you can look at that as a positive. But here's what I have found out in 20 years of plus of ministry now. There's been so many people that quit right before the harvest. So many people that have quit on a marriage right before the fruit was coming. They have quit. They've given up. They quit sowing. Jesus says in, in, in Luke chapter 8, the, we call it the parable of the soils. I like to refer to it as the parable of the seed. because It's not about the soil. It's about the power of the seed. And then there's four soils, and he says the first one, the bird comes in. We know that's a seagull because it's the devil bird, right? And so he steals it. The second one says the sun scorches it because it has no root. That's relationships. The third one is it grew up, and then it got choked out. The fourth one produced fruit. See, the goal is we tell people, be the fourth soil, that's not the point. The point is, don't give up in the process of the first three. Let the seed go in. Let the seed develop roots. Let the seed grow up. See, I can't determine when that happens or how big the fruit is. I can determine whether or not I keep sowing. So many of us, we quit in our marriage right before the results right before the reaping. So many of us quit on friendships. So many of us quit on work. So many of us quit on ministry. People say, I used to do ministry, but I got hurt in the church. Well, that just happens. I don't, have, you, have you read the story about Jesus? Listen, if I would have quit because somebody hurt me, I would have quit when I started. I preached my first sermon when I was 17. It was only 22 minutes long. <laughs> I've gotten better since then. Um, but here's the thing. You don't reap and sow in the same action, nor in the same season. But here's what I can promise you. You'll never reap it if you don't sow it. You'll never reap it if you don't sow it. So here's the point. What is the difference between faithfulness and fruitfulness? Faithfulness is you sow. Fruitfulness is God will reap it. So here's what you can control. You can control whether or not you're faithful. You can control whether you're faithful in your marriage. You can control whether you're faithful in your parenting. You can control whether you're faithful in the church. And I love that John is highlighting the fact that Gaius is faithful. It's a faithful thing that you're doing, man. 
taking care of these brothers. So again, let's take the same principle and let's apply it to how John is using it here. He's using it in a way to talk about financially supporting the work of the church, financially supporting the raising up and the sending out of people so that the gospel can spread. This is, and I gotta be honest with you, this is a principle a lot of times that church people, like you bristle against, and I gotta be straight with you, I don't know why you do. If you don't put God First, in your area of finances, which means you don't sow into the work of the church first, then two things are going to happen. The church will not reap what it could have reaped, and two, you won't reap what you could have reaped. It's the simple principle of sowing and reaping. So let me show, tell you how this applies to my life practically. Lindsay and I made a commitment years ago not to tithe. Because that just was natural. I don't get to make that commitment. That's a command. But Lindsay and I made a commitment that we would not write any check bigger than the one we write to the church. So the check we write to the church, I get paid twice a month, so I write it twice a month. The check that we write to the church is more than any other check we write. More than my house payment. And I just refinanced my house two years ago from a 30-year note to a 15-year note. So don't you know that house payment went up? Guess what? My giving went up. You want to know why? Because here's my commitment. God will be first. I will not sow into anything else financially, anything else time-wise, anything else emotionally-wise before God, before the work of God. And here's the cool thing. If I sow into it, guess what's going to happen? That was a setup, man. I'm going to reap. And what is it that we will reap? The Bible says we'll be fellow workers. That's what he says. We'll be fellow workers in the good news of the gospel spreading. So we'll reap joy. We'll reap joy for the fact that souls were saved because we sowed in. You, you heard it. 60 people got baptized. 30-something people trusted Christ in the month of August. That happened because some people sowed into the work that God was doing here. So here's simply what I'm saying to you. If you're sitting in there like, I cannot wait for you to move on to the next verse so you'll quit talking about giving, Pastor. If that's how you're thinking, then what I'm telling you is you're thinking wrongly. And so you're missing out on the fruit because you have not determined to be faithful. But if you will determine to be faithful and you put God first and you put God most. So what's the principle? First and most. First and most. Let me ask you a question. Where do you put the majority of your time first and most? First and most. When you wake up in the morning is your first thought the Father loves me. Or is your first thought Instagram? I wonder what they're doing. And you wake up your husband at the sound of a video coming out, you know? I'm not saying that's ever happened. I'm just saying. Uh, and then most. Here's all I'm simply saying, and we got to move on here. All I'm simply saying to you is this. You will not regret putting God first and most. It's a faithful thing. And when you do a faithful thing, 
God will turn it into a fruitful thing. So if you're lacking fruit, you're lacking faith. Now think about it, faithful, full of what? Faith, you say, pastor, I can't give. That's a faith issue. There's a difference between hopelessness and helplessness. Helplessness is I can't do it. Hopelessness is it'll never happen. See, faith is the root from which hope springs forth. Think about sowing and reaping. It takes faith to plant a seed in the ground. When you put a seed in the ground and you cover it up, do you see anything within like the next minute or two? No? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he planted Apollos water, but God made it grow. So here's the thing. You put the seed in the ground, and then by faith, you go to sleep. And you say, Pastor, I planted that a week ago. I ain't seeing nothing. Well, guess what? You may be bamboo. You ever read up on bamboo? Bamboo, you plant it in the ground, and for like six years, you see nothing. But then it grows, and within like 60 days, it grows 60 feet. You might have a bamboo marriage. You might have bamboo kids. You're like, I didn't even know there was such a thing. Neither did I until last sermon. I came up with it. You might have bamboo finances. But here's my point to you. You'll never get this 60-foot growth if you don't first sow. You will reap what you do sow, and you won't reap what you don't sow. So don't give up. Be faithful. Now he moves on. Look at this, verse 9. Two people he's going to call out here, one in a negative way, one in a positive way. Verse 9, he says this. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, I, I hope I said that correctly. It's a Greek word, a Greek name. Uh, you know, still learning, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So I've written some to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Now, let's, let's stop and chat for a second. John is writing this letter to Gaius, Obviously, we don't know the role, but Gaius has some kind of leadership in the church, and so does Diotrephes. And in the letter, John calls him out by name. And he says about him, he likes to put himself, what? First. Literally, the concept or the, the rendering of the word there is he is fond of being first. He's fond of being first. Now think about this back in context of faithfulness. We need to put God first and most. And now John is saying, but Diotrephes doesn't put God first. He likes to put himself first. He is fond of being first. What's amazing is this is the same concept in Galatians 1.18 where Paul talked about Christ as preeminent. Preeminent. That means God is first. You want to know why God is in control? We did this a few weeks ago. Because God is first. 
And I told you a few weeks ago, if you don't like God's rules, then go make your own planet and make yourself first. But God was first and God went first. You want to know why I have authority in my kids' lives? Because I existed before them. I'm first. And so Diotrephes here, he loves, here's what I'm trying to show you. He loves to take the position of God. He loves to put himself first and he doesn't acknowledge the authority that John the Apostle has. Now, imagine if this happened in the 21st century. We don't, you know, write letters to the church anymore, but imagine that this afternoon, I just put it out on Facebook. I called out somebody by name. And I said, they just like to put themselves first. They're talking wicked nonsense against us. Facebook would blow up. What a horrible pastor. What a, what a horrible person calling this out in this person. And see, in the 21st century, the concept of church discipline is a lost art. But I want to point out the fact I'm not saying I'm going to put this on Facebook later. I just want to point out the fact that John is rightly exercising his authority as an elder in the church to correct those who are putting themselves first, to correct those who are not acknowledging the authority that the word of God has in their life. The reason why this is so important is because if that's not acknowledged, then the work of the ministry is hindered. Look at how he continues, verse 10 and 11. He says, and not content with that, he, Diotrephes, or whatever, that dude, um, he refuses to welcome the brothers, now listen to this, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now, Now check this. Diotrephes is a leader in the church. He's a leader. Obviously, he has some kind of authority within the church because he is not recognizing John's authority. And he is saying, John doesn't have the authority at this church. I do. I'm first. I don't know who John is, right? Talking wicked nonsense against John. And anybody who wants to support those people that John sent, I'm not going to let them do that. And I want to kick them out of the church. So Diotrephes is a leader in the church, and John's saying, I don't even know if he's saved. That's what he said. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And then he says, don't imitate evil. That word imitate means to reproduce. I want you to think about it like this. What you imitate, you replicate. Think about it. I don't have it as a point. You can write it down if you want. What you imitate, you replicate. What that means is this. Whatever you pattern your life after, what you're imitating, if it's good, you're going to reproduce good. If you're imitating evil, guess what you're going to reproduce? Evil. Why? Because whatever you imitate, you replicate. So you want to know why John calls out this guy? He calls out this guy because John doesn't want to reproduce evil in the leadership of the church. He doesn't want to reproduce that. He doesn't want 
the leader of this local church, to raise up people who are going to imitate evil. And what is the evil? Here's what we need to know. You want to know what the evil is? The evil is he was talking wicked nonsense. You want to know what wicked nonsense means? Gossip. You want to know what has killed the Holy Spirit in almost any church? Gossip. Imitating evil. And here's John calling it out to Gaius. Don't imitate that. And he says, if I come, that word if means whenever. So it doesn't mean if I get around to it, John says, no, when I get there, I'm going to call it out. Because that's wicked nonsense. That's gossip. That's not true. He's not recognizing our authority. And he's reproducing what we don't want to be reproduced. So think about authority like this. Authority is about who's first. So if God is first and most, God is your authority. But if God is not first in your life, he's not most in your life, you are your own authority. And you want to know why you and I don't obey the commands of God? It's very simple. We don't put him first. Think about the Great Commission. We'll do this later in the year. But the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, says this, therefore, go and make disciples. But you want to know the verse right before it? Verse 17. Jesus said, all, anybody know? Authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You want to know why Christians don't obey 18? It's because they don't obey 17. The reason why you're not going and making disciples and teaching to people to, baptizing people, teaching them to obey is because you're ignoring verse 17. And the reason why you're ignoring verse 17 is because you still think you're first. You are taking the place of preeminence. You are taking the place of authority. And John is calling it out and says, listen, those who despise authority, the inevitable result is putting themselves first. You despise authority, you'll think you're first, you'll think you're most. This is why the hallmark of a believer is humbleness. Humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. James 4, and he'll exalt you. This is what's crazy about Christian community. You want to be first? Put yourself last. One day, you know, if I ever get a chance to start a church, I'm, 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 this is half a joke, but I'm half serious. I'm still, I've said this before. I'm going to call it Last Baptist Church. <laughs> and the tagline is going to be, the last shall be first. I'm not saying that a church with the name First Baptist is wrong. Remember, I went to Southern Baptist Seminary, love Southern Baptist. All I'm saying is it's the desire of every human heart to put themselves first. And the way that you know someone has ran into the authority of Jesus is they no longer put themselves first, they put themselves last. Look at Galatians. I just want to highlight this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 16. Verse 13 says, it's on the screen, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the, what's that next word there? Flesh. But through love, serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, which means one saying, one logos. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16, in your Bibles, it puts this as a separate heading. I think that's a mistake. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the what? Flesh. You want to know why people put themselves first? The flesh. You want to know what your flesh is always going to tell you? Put yourself first. You want to know the definition of the flesh? I'm glad you do, because I'm going to tell you. It's here on the screen. I got this straight from Chip Judd, who, again, my pastor, counselor, he was here in May, did our marriage conference. He told me this over my break during the summer, and when he defined flesh like this, it made so much sense to me. What is flesh? Flesh is this, the part of us that generates solutions to our problems without consulting God. Now, let me say that again. What is your flesh? Your flesh is the part of you that generates solutions to your problems without consulting God. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Because their flesh said they didn't need God. Why do you and I sin? Because our flesh says you don't need God. So here's the deal. I want you to see this in context. The context of Galatians 5, what Paul was talking about is you're going to devour one another. Why do you devour one another? Because your flesh says, put yourself first. You want to know why you devour one another in your marriage? Because you got two people fighting for first. What would your marriage look like if you had two people fighting for last? No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. Like you'd never walk into a door, right? Like, no, 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 you go first. And that is the biblical call of a husband. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Put her first. Why? Because Christ put us first when he went to the cross. He put the needs of the church before the needs of himself. That is the point of the spirit. See, in Galatians 5, Paul's contrasting the spirit versus the flesh. Last week, we talked about we are Spirit, soul, flesh. Spirit, your heart, you're regenerated. That's where you're saved. Your soul, mind, will, and emotions, that's being saved. Your body one day will be saved. And so here's what's gonna happen. You get saved, your spirit comes alive, you're born again, but you still have a flesh. And your flesh is going to be contrary to the spirit. The spirit that has been put inside of you now, the Holy Spirit given to you as a deposit, is going to fight against the spirit. So here's the thing, your flesh and the spirit, one of those is going to win. And whichever one you say yes to gets the most power over you. See, so often you have tried to say no to your flesh without saying yes to the spirit. That's a losing battle, my friend. If you just stare at the plate of cookies and say no, 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 then it's like, oh, okay, yes. The only way you can say no is if you have a greater yes, what you really want. As one friend of mine said just this last week, don't sacrifice what you want most for what you want now. And that's what the flesh is going to say to you. Why did Diotrephus put himself first? 
because his flesh told him. His flesh told him, don't you want to be the boss in this church? Who is that John? I mean, yeah, he hung with Jesus, but come on. You can know Jesus too. You heard about Jesus. You, you saw him. You don't need John. You're good enough. Just feeding in, feeding in, feeding in. And unfortunately, he gave in. Go back to verse 12, though, because I don't want to end this in a negative. Look at, look at verse 12 of 3 John. Demetrius, a different dude. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I love that. Sounds like, you know I'm talking truth. Demetrius. Now, we don't know much about Demetrius. The only other place in the Bible that Demetrius is mentioned is Acts 19. This is what I was referring to earlier. We don't know if it's the same guy. The, the Bible just doesn't tell us. So Demetrius in Acts 19, Demetrius in 3 John. Now in Acts 19, a little bit of contextual evidence, Gaius is also there. Gaius was working with Paul. Now we don't know if it's the same Gaius, but, but just think with me here for a second. If it is the same Gaius and Gaius is receiving a good report, then it might be the same Demetrius. But do you want to know what Demetrius was doing in Acts 19? You can go back and read it. Paul had showed up. Paul was casting out demons, a crazy verse in chapter 18. There's a demon-possessed person that some Jews were trying to cast out, and the demon speaks back and says, Jesus I know of, Paul I've heard, who are you? I love that. Listen, if you can go up against some demons, you better know Jesus, and you better know some Paul. you be like, who are you? I mean, what a crazy encounter. And so... The fame of Jesus was spreading all throughout Ephesus. And Ephesus was the temple of the great Artemis in Greek mythology. And Demetrius was a guy who crafted idols and sold them. And Demetrius gets mad that Paul is showing up saying, this is literally, go read it in Acts 19, that man-made gods are no gods at all. Duh. If they're man-made, they're not God. Now, we read that, and we're like, that is so crazy. How do people do that? Why do you look at money as your God? That's man-made. Why do you look at beauty as your God? That's man-made. Why do you look at your house as your God, your skills as your God, right? Like, let's be, let's be quick not to judge the first century folk. But Demetrius was getting upset that Paul was saying that Jesus is the only God. Now, we don't know if this is the same Demetrius. All I'm saying is if, what if it was? You got a guy who was making idols so that people could worship false gods and who tries to shut down the ministry of the church you don't get as pagan, I mean, that's as pagan as you get. Who, if it is now the same guy, in 3 John, he's receiving a good testimony and from the truth itself, and John is saying, we agree. So you got a formal, I, former 
idol maker, now receiving a good testimony in the church. But then look at this. But you got Diotrephus, who's a leader in the church, that Paul's saying, or John's saying, I don't even know if he's saved. You want to know why? Because he was more like a Pharisee than he was like Jesus. And that's the sad truth of churches. A lot of times we have religious people doing worse things than pagans. See, the word Gentile just means pagan. And pagan literally is the idea of country folk. It was the people outside the cities, the unlearned ones. So you got these smart, religious people talking gossip and stopping the ministry of the church when you have potentially former idol makers that are now supporting it. You know, want to know what kind of culture we want here at Revolution? A culture of Demetrius's. A culture of former God bashers, idolaters, now God lovers, putting him first. But sadly, you want to know what stands in the way of that a lot of times? Church people putting themselves first, not recognizing the authority of God in their life and not using their freedom to make themselves last and serve one another. And here's all I'm saying to you. Title of my message, Diatrephus or Diatrephes or Demetrius? Which one are you? Which one are you? Last three verses and we're done. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. I told you a few weeks ago, it's literally mouth to mouth. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. You want to know if you're Diotrephes or Demetrius, what is the word on the street about you? What are your friends, what would they say about you? This is the whole point of marriage. The whole point of marriage is to help you understand there is a God and you ain't him. <laughs> and you ain't her. We talk about soulmates. Like, I just found my soulmate. This last week, Lindsay and I were with some pastors, and one of them said, It's not soulmate, it's soul scrape. The point of another person is to scrape your soul, to make you more like Jesus. So you wanna know whether or not you're one of these guys or you have the spirit of one of these guys? What do your friends say about you? See, you and I, this is why we do relationships around here. You and I need other people to tell us, hey man, you really got the spirit of diatrophies right now. You're putting yourself first. You're thinking that you're not as one under authority. You really need the spirit of Demetrius, which is the spirit of Jesus, which is the spirit of the Holy Spirit, who says, I'm going to put myself last. Because see, when someone hurts you, what is your flesh going to say? Your flesh is going to say, put yourself first. Put some out there on social media with this like, a, this like a veiled shot at them. You don't have to say their name, but just make it sound like if anybody knows, they know who you're talking about. That never happens, right? But you know what Jesus said? You know what Paul said in Romans 12? Bless those 
who persecutes you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is going to speak contrary to your flesh. And when your flesh says you put yourself first, your flesh is going to try to get you to do that. And the Spirit says, no, you put them first. You bless them. Though they persecute you and say vile things about you, you bless them. I don't want to do that. Well, nobody wants to. But that's what the Spirit's going to lead you to do. And here's my point to you. If you don't have good friends in your life that can talk to you face to face and speak sense into you, then you'll be talking wicked nonsense. You don't need a lot, but you do need a a few. They can look at you face to face and say, I know your flesh wants to fight back, but don't. Because if you fight back, you're putting yourself first. Which one are you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus lived this by putting your will first. Isaiah 53 says it was your will to crush Jesus. so that by his wounds we could be healed. And thank you that Jesus didn't put himself first. And now because of that, we can be saved. And so God, I pray for anybody in the house or listening or watching right now that has never trusted Jesus, that has never come to that place where the gospel has hit them and opened their eyes and they know that you love them because you died for them. God, I pray right now you would open some eyes and you'd save some people. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. There's never been a point in time in your life where you've trusted Jesus. Then right now, The Holy Spirit can regenerate you. Open your eyes to see the truth about what God did for you to be saved. And if that's you, if you want to trust Christ right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray, not out loud, but repeat after me. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Save me. Forgive me. I put you first. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed that, we want to know and celebrate with you. So would you just simply lift your hand up if you just trusted Jesus? Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us in the house who would say that We are saved. We have put Jesus first. Let me ask you a question. Is he first in every area? Is he first and most? In your day, in your time, 
is Jesus first and most? With your talents, your gifts, is Jesus first and most? With your money, your finances, your treasures, is Jesus first and most? I promise you, there is no greater investment than to sow into the kingdom of God with your time, your talents, and your treasures. It is the only place where it is safe and it will reap a harvest of righteousness, Jesus says. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you, you've understood, God, I'm a lot like this diatrophies. I put myself first. I don't respond well to authority. I'm talking gossip about people that I shouldn't be. I, I just trust the Holy Spirit to let you know what it is. Or maybe you feel more like Demetrius where you just want to give up from doing good. You're going weary and you're like, God, I can't do another good. I can't be good to this person again. And the promise of Galatians 6, 9, I just want to promise over you again, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you don't give up. You keep sowing and you keep trusting the Lord of the harvest to bring it in the right season and the right size. Father, Give us the faith to be faithful. We trust you with the fruitfulness and we want to be faithful. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.